morning, Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well. Children, you can be released. You'll see your teachers there with the flags in the back corner. And for everybody else who's going to be here, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Mark chapter 13. If you have uh, one of these scripture journals uh, that we make available for free, where you can see the scripture and then take notes on the other side, it's page 80. Now, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark, and as we've kind of said in the last couple of weeks, chapters 11 through the end of the book in, in chapter 16 span one week, the final week of Jesus' life before He is going to be crucified and then risen from the dead. And, and, and that week begins on a Sunday. We saw in, in chapter 11 on Sunday, Jesus in, in a provocative manner has this triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. It says, by evening He goes up on the Temple Mount, He looks around, but then He goes back to where he's staying in Bethany. And come Monday morning, he enters the temple. He sees what's happening and the, the distractions, people selling. It's pushing away those who are not Jews from being able to worship in there. And Jesus, he, he turns over tables, he, he knocks over chairs, and he's like, don't you know that God says my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations? And that kind of then ends on Monday. So then come Tuesday morning, Jesus comes back to the Temple Mount, but now religious leaders are there and they're ready and they are ticked off, right? And, and so as soon as he steps onto the Temple Mount, they're like, who gives you the right? By what authority are you coming in here and doing all this? And so you're going to see different groups of religious leaders come and they confront Jesus, and he responds to them, navigating their questions that seek to trap him. And then as we saw last week, from these religious groups, particularly the scribes, one man steps forward and asks the question, what, which of the commandments, all 613 of them, which one is the greatest? And Jesus begins to answer and gives a contrast between the religious leaders of the day and then holding up a widow's offering as an example. Today, what's going to happen is it's still that Tuesday. It's towards the, the end of the day. Jesus and his disciples are now making their the Temple Mount. And Jesus is going to teach them then on the Mount of Olives. Now, now here's what I want you to keep in mind. Mark 13 is considered one of the hardest chapters of the Bible. It's difficult. And we're going to talk about some of the details that make it so difficult to understand. But I want to give us this encouragement on the front end, that you not get lost or distracted as we make this journey through the chapter. And here's what I mean by that. Imagine if we were taking a hike together. The goal is to climb this mountain to get to the peak because we want to get up there to see the sun rise above the horizon and over the landscape. That's the goal that we want to be able to see. But what happens, if you've ever seen this, if you're walking with young kids and you have this goal in mind, but they are like, look at this rock. This is an amazing rock. Look at this leaf. Look at that bug. Look at that tree. And what happens is you can become so focused on the details in the midst of the journey that you never actually get to see the full beauty of the landscape. That can happen in a passage like this. Because we're going to hear things like tribulation, 
wars and rumors of war, earthquakes and famines, persecution. It it raises questions of timelines and charts of the end times. What's the mark of the beast? When is this going to happen? And we can, there's the um, part of like desolation. Over and over again, there's all these terms that what happens is we hear those and we want to say, what does that mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? But we can miss the bigger picture. So this is my prayer as we go through the book. There's some things that I believe God has for us this morning that's extremely clear. There's also some things that are confusing. And I want to encourage to navigate that together. So let's pray and then open God's word. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this time this morning that we have together to open your word. I thank you for passages like this that Make us kind of stop and slow down to really listen to what you're saying. Lord, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us eyes to see the truth of what you are saying to us this morning? And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So look at the first two verses. I want to just kind of set the stage of what's happening to understand that Jesus, as he's been interacting with these religious groups, and it says, as he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see? Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And then Jesus turns and starts walking. (laughs) Think of the shock that this would have been for them. You're going to see a photo up here on the screen because when I see this, you need to understand that I'm seeing this in my mind's eye. It was a privilege that God allowed us that where you see that line coming from Mount of Olives is pretty much right where my wife and I used to live. And we lived there for a while before we moved into the old city of Jerusalem, which would be just to the left of where it says Temple Mount there. So there's something to see here. Like as Jesus is leaving the temple, most likely he's walking out of the eastern gate, right? This is going to go down into the Kidron Valley, up onto the Mount of Olives, And you start to figure out east and west. This is towards the end of the day. The sun is setting behind the temple, right? Think of like the golden hour for Instagram. And it's beautiful when the light is shining off of these white marble stones and the the gold. And, and, And the disciples are looking at this and like, do you see this, Jesus? Do you see how beautiful it is? Look back. And Jesus looks and he's like, do you see it? Because I'm telling you, not one stone will be left on the other. And then he starts walking. And then he's going to go down the Kitron Valley, which is kind of a steep walk. Like, unfortunately, we did have to make that several times. And then you're walking up the Mount of Olives. You're not really having deep conversation because you're just trying to breathe, right? And then it's going to say, and then he sat down. And he sat down on the Mount of Olives, and that's going to be overlooking the temple. And it says, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they asked him privately, tell us, tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign when those things are about to be accomplished. And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. 
and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus completely burst their bubble. And in the disciples' questions, they're really asking two different things. Tell me when these things are going to happen. When is the temple going to be... And then second, what are the signs that the end is near? Two different questions. But in the disciples' mind, there's only one thought. Because, see, the disciples thought that the destruction of the temple meant the end. And by the end, what I mean is when Christ returns and establishes his eternal kingdom on earth. This would be the end. They saw this as one in the same event. But it was not. Because the reality was in just a few short years, in 30 plus years, in 70 AD, the temple would be destroyed completely. The region was thrown into complete chaos. Zealots had arisen and had pushed out Romans from Jerusalem. Right? And so the military then went outside the city. Zealots had overtaken. There was complete chaos. Christians had to flee the city in 67 AD. And for three and a half years, there was chaos. And then General Titus in 70 AD surrounded the city of Jerusalem with 100,000 people inside. Anybody who tried to flee the city was immediately crucified. Men, women, and children. Until finally, on August 10th of 70 AD, the general had had enough, and they went into the city, and they killed everyone. The massacre was so great that people, historians, have said that the blood flowed down the steps from the Temple Mount. They lit the temple on fire. The gold that adorned the temple began to melt from the heat of the, higher, the fire and went in between the stones so that the Roman soldiers knocked over each and every stone as they tried to get to the gold in between them, fulfilling what Jesus had promised. What he'll say later in this chapter, this will all happen in your generation these things will take place. But see, here's the difficulty. The disciples thought that the destruction of the temple in the end of time were one in the same. But Jesus is talking about two different events. One that will happen when the temple is destroyed and one that will be the sign at the end. For, for many in this photo, you'll, you'll see that this mountainscape that if you were to describe this picture, you can describe the mountains and it's about it as if this is one image, one mountain range. It's a flat image. It's all the same. And this is a classic way of understanding prophecy in the Bible. Jesus is talking about, one, what's going to happen in the foreground. But these mountain ranges span more than 50 miles between them. There is a great distance between those mountain peaks. In the same way, though, Jesus is describing one image, there is a distance in time between them. Now, the difficulty becomes which 
is Jesus referring to? Is he referring to the what happened in 70 AD, or what is he referring to that will happen in the future? How do we understand that? Which one do we apply to which setting? And that's where scholars have disagreed for 2,000 years. There's different people that you can follow that say, this is how you should break it down. This is how you should listen to it. But here's the beautiful thing. There can be clarity in the midst of the confusion. Here's what's clear. Jesus is referring to two events. He's referring to what's going to happen and what was fulfilled in 70 AD. And he is also talking about what is yet to happen on the horizon of history when the Messiah returns and establishes his kingdom. That is yet to happen. But that, in many ways, is the true substance of what's being talked about, and it casts a shadow over history so that what we see that took place in 70 AD was a shadow of what is to come. They are similar, but different. One event is similar to the other, but the application that I believe God has for us, reaching the pinnacle of that mountain to see the forest as a whole, I believe is very, very clear. It was clear for the disciples and it's clear for us today that there does not need to be confusion in how we should respond because he commands us as an imperative for how we should respond in this situation. So look with me, beginning in verse 5. When Jesus, he began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. People will claim to have the answer. They're going to claim to speak for God. They're going to claim to be God. In the end, like then and like now, there will be people who arise and say, listen to me. They will either claim to be God or they will claim to speak for God. And we have seen this throughout history. We have seen this with Muhammad claiming to speak for God and this whole new religion of Islam. We've seen this with John Smith in Mormonism. We've seen this with Charles Russell and Jehovah Witnesses. We've seen people rise and lead people astray. We continue to see people who claim to speak for God and yet do not speak the truth. We've seen disasters Nation rising against nation, earthquake, famine. And then the command is clear in verse 7. And when you hear of all these things, when you see all of these things, do not be alarmed. The command is simple. Be calm. Be calm when you see all this. Like that sense of being alarmed in Greek is tumult. Think of where we get the word tumultuous. Right? Have you ever felt that way? You, You read a news headline. Feel that disturbed inside. You feel that agitation, that restlessness, that stirring of feeling unsettled, of being alarmed. What's happening in the world? This isn't how I thought it would be. I looked at it and said, isn't it beautiful? And God says, this is how it's supposed to be. And the command is, be, be calm. Do not be alarmed. Now think about this. The last 18 months, would you describe the world in which we lived as tumultuous or alarming in the way people have responded? Here's news headlines that you're going to see that I took 
Most of these headlines are from this week. Some dating further back. This is what we are inundated with day after day after day. There's another earthquake. There's a famine. There's deaths. Look at what's happening. And then we read the Bible and we're like, and then be calm? You're telling me to be calm? To not be alarmed? When that's what's in our news feed over and over and over again? And the answer is yes. Why? How? How in the world can we be calm? When, when this is the news that we're inundated with, when this is what we're seeing, when the world we hoped would be calm and at peace theme, seems turned over in turmoil. And when you hear of wars and rumors of world wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place for the end is not yet. In verse 8, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, for me, that hit home quickly because my daughter just last month came to our house to give birth in our bedroom to our first grandchild. I watched as she came in the door and as soon as she walked in, the first thing was like leaning on the, the rail, right? Like breathing through another contraction. Her loving husband is, is rubbing her back as she breathes through the contraction. And they grew more intense and they grew closer together as the day went on. But there wasn't alarm. There wasn't shock. Right? We're not like, why in the world is she having all this pain? Why in the world is her, her stomach hurting so bad? Every few minutes that the pain hits, there wasn't shock by that. There was an anticipation. There was an excitement. She's about to give birth. We're about to meet Evelyn. Like, there was purpose in the pain. This wasn't random. This wasn't some unexplainable physical pain that she was having. It was like, there is purpose in the pain. This was leading to something that was more joyful than the pain itself. There wasn't alarm. There was an excitement and a calm. The same is true today. When we hear of the devastation around the world, it is not pointless. It is not chaotic. There is a purpose that is greater than the pain. The return of Christ is anticipating. And so we comfort one another. When there's pain and devastation in the world, we don't just ignore it. Like We, we encourage one another. We comfort one another. But we don't need to be alarmed as to say, why is all this happening? It's known it's going to happen. And not only do we know it's going to be happening, but we know it's going to grow more intense and closer together. Until Christ returns, that is what we know awaits us on the other side. That is why we don't need to be alarmed. This is why we can be calm, regardless of what the future holds for us. What events come after today that will be worse than the ones that have come before. We do not need to be alarmed. And we can have a confidence. Notice what it says in here then in verse 9. 13. 
again, there is the warning. Be on guard. Be on guard. These things have the potential to to rattle you. These things have the potential to, to shake you up. Be on guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious. You can have a confidence in the midst of such persecution. You don't need to be anxious beforehand about what you're going to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit and brother will deliver brother over to death. And father, his child and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So be confident. You don't need to be anxious that all of this is going to happen, that this is the reality because God is in control. When we look at that, we're like, really? Don't be anxious. Like, I don't know that my faith is strong enough. Like, what if someone asks me a question that I can't answer? What if I'm put to the test? Will I falter? Will I fail? When children turn, when parents turn against children, when brother turns against brother, how will I respond? And the application is to be confident, to not be anxious. And he says, no. Because when you don't know what to say, I'm going to give you the words. And he's not going to give you the words now when you think about, what would I say in this situation? He's going to give you the words in the moment that the question is asked. He will give you the words to speak. And you're like, but I don't know. I don't know, like, would I falter? Would I fail? And yet in 1 John chapter 4, it says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God, who indwells every single believer, will be your strength in the moment when you need it. He will be your words when you don't know how to respond. So you don't need to be anxious today because our hope is in God. And He will be faithful. But then we we can ask, we're like, why would God allow such persecution? Like, why does he allow that? Why, why is that part of his plan? And he tells us, because the gospel will be preached among all people groups of the earth. Because people are continuing to trust in Jesus. The early church father, Tertullian, once said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That was true then, And it is true today. In the last 100 years, it is estimated that 70 million Christians have been killed because they follow Jesus Christ. You think about that. That's over 100 years. Now, out of that 70 million in the last 10 years, 45 million 
Christians have been killed because they claim the name of Jesus that we proclaim this morning. You divide that out, that represents 270 Christians killed for their faith every single day. And here's the thing, the church is growing. See, we can lose sight of this because here in America, like even this week in USA Today, I saw an article that said one out of four Americans now consider themselves a nun, if you've heard this term, where they no longer claim any religious affiliation, that people are, are leaving the church and these things are happening. But what you don't hear about is that America is not the center of the world, nor is it the center of God's church. And God is growing His body around the world. Nations who are laying down their life for the sake of the name of Jesus are coming to faith in the millions. Places like Iran, Iraq. The church is expanding. 77% of the global church today is found in the southern hemisphere. Places like South America, Africa, and Asia are the fastest growing churches in the world. God is growing His church. He is drawing people to Himself from every nation and every tongue and every tribe and every language. And yes, there is persecution. Yes, there will be hardships. And God is at work. So we can be confident we don't need to be alarmed like, oh no, what's going to happen? As if God somehow has fumbled the ball and doesn't know what to do and we have to pick things up. God is in control. We can be calm and confident in Him. This is the hope we have. This is what Jesus is saying. That when you have fear, when is this going to happen? What's it going to look like? And He's like, it's okay. He's telling us what to expect. And then he calls us to be careful. Be discerning. Look at with me, picking up in verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. For at last, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that this may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not come from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be and if the Lord had not cut short the days no human being would be saved but for the sake of the elect whom he chose he shortened the days and then if anyone says to you look look here is the Christ look there he is do not believe it for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I have told you these things beforehand. There's that one of those phrases, the abomination of desolation. 
This is one of those things like, what does that mean? We find it three times in the book of Daniel. How do we understand what that means? Because some say it's a reference to Christians fleeing Jerusalem in 67 AD, and then three and a half years later when the the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. Maybe it's talking about that. Others say, oh, maybe this is talking about the temple will be rebuilt, and then there will be this, uh, the Antichrist will come in and and desecrate the temple there. And others say, no, it's not that. Like, this is going to be persecution against Christians because God indwells the believer now. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't know. I don't know. Here's what's clear. Christians will endure tribulation. The days are cut short but Christians will endure tribulation. There will be false Christ. There's going to be false teachers, false prophets who arise. There will be signs. There will be the temptation. Hey, follow me. Hey, listen to this. Here's the latest thing. Did you see this YouTube video? Did you hear what they said? We are not here to follow teachers of men in their own ideas. We are here to listen to the words of Christ because he has spoken and told us beforehand what will happen. We are here to listen to what he says and what he commands. So be on your guard. Take heed. Contemplation. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you read. Who are are you listening to? And and the thought here is to, to guard. Guard your heart. What is true? Guard guard your mind, your thoughts. What do you believe to be true? Who are you listening to? The call is to listen to Jesus because he has spoken. Guard your heart. When things get worse, when anxiety and alarm begins to to, to well up inside you, did you see this? Is this it? Nobody knows the day or hour. But we are closer today than we have ever been. The end is coming. We don't know when. I'm not going to draw this out on charts or timelines. No one knows the day or hour. The the warning is to guard ourselves, to guard our minds, to guard our hearts, to find our hope in calm in Christ, our confidence in Christ, that things are not in chaos. They are in the control of God's hands. Guard your hands. Walk in obedience. This is what the Scripture calls us to. This is what I want us to see from that mountaintop. When the world can seem to be like, oh, we can focus on wars and rumors of war, and is it now? Is it coming? Like, when is it? Can we put it in a chart? Can we figure it out? The reality is when we stand at the pinnacle of the mountain, the command before us is to behold your God. Let there be calm. Let there be confidence in who he is and what he is doing. 
And let us be on guard to guard our, our minds and our hearts and our hands to walk in obedience to our great God. So two practical ways I want to encourage us to do that. One, I think about it because of exactly what Jesus says here in verse 23. Where he says, be on guard. I have told you these things beforehand. I've told you these things. I've said it. The question then is, in my mind, are we listening? If Jesus is saying, I've told you everything you need to be calm, to be confident, to guard your hearts, to walk in obedience, are we listening? Because he has spoken. And here's the amazing thing. Even when I think about the gospel of Mark, like this is God's word. Mark was a secretary to Peter. So we're like, how did, how did he know what Jesus said there? Peter was one of the ones, if you noticed, who went up to Jesus to ask him the question. So when's all this going to happen? Mark was a secretary for Peter, so it's kind of obvious as we read through the letter that this is Peter's first-hand account of what Jesus has done and what he has said that has been preserved for us throughout history, that there can be confidence that as we read it, this is actually what was. But are we listening? Sometimes I think we take for granted the fact that we have God's word. Like I, I hear stories of overseas of like those who rejoice when they receive God's word for the first time in their language, those who claim and they're writing down large passages of scripture as a single Bible is passed from person to person. I don't want to come up and just like guilt you into like read your Bible. Like, like th there's ways that that can be done that I don't think is personally helpful. What I do want to do is say we have the treasure of God's word. He has spoken. But are we willing to listen? Are we willing to read? Are we willing to hear what God is saying? One way that I have found this helpful in, in a practical way is through a resource we pay for as a church so that we can make available to you for free. And, and it's called the Dwell Bible app. If you want to know more about this or how to sign up for a free account, we can help you through that at the connect table after the service. Here's what I like about it. It has various different readers. Sometimes for different passages, I like hearing different accents. They have men, they have women, they have different translations. Um, so if you're a second uh, language English speaker, they also have Spanish Bibles in there. They also have, there's some translations that can make it easier. If English is your second language, you can have background music, like you can really customize it. They have reading plans, listening plans. You can read along. I find it helpful because sometimes just driving, like normally tomorrow, I'm going to be listening to multiple, multiple times the passage we'll be going through next week. I just want to hear it read over me. Like not just to sit down and study, but to just hear it. I think this is a helpful way that if you struggle maybe like this, just sit down and read your Bible, this could be a great way that as you're walking, as you're driving, to, to have God's word read over you. 
I think is an amazing privilege and opportunity. And we want to get that into your hands. So when you think through, like, how then do I listen? This is one way that that could happen that we want to help you with. I think another way that I want to encourage us to respond, that sometimes, and I find this in my own heart, if I'm to be calm and confident and to be careful, it's hard at times when I'm, the first thing I typically do is I open my news feed, <laughs> right? That's not the most calming thing in the world, right? Like, oh, look, this just happened and that just happened. And like, this is, it's all horrible. I think we need to be intentional to remind ourselves of how God is at work and to rejoice in how he is working. I think that looks like how God is working here in our church family and how God is working around the world. <clears throat> There's an for how to do this that I want to encourage you in. And that's in a new podcast that's called Maverick. Now, I'm sharing this because some of you may recognize the name that you're going to see on this screen. It's the story of Bashar. He's a man that as these events were unfolding in 2019, we prayed for as a church. I shared about his story and what was happening and when his uncle put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger because he claimed Christ. I'm still receiving emails because for me, this story is close to home. This story takes place in the country where Curse and I had the privilege of establishing this team. The voices that you hear on this team are our friends. This is the team where we worked. This is where we prayed. And, and I found myself, like in listening to this, I'm reminded of how God led me to pray from Acts chapter 4. When it says, when the disciples prayed, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through, your, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. These are the prayers that we prayed. Lord, help us to be faithful in your gospel. And Lord, as we're faithful, would you stretch out your hand? And by your might and your power, would you heal? Would you draw people to yourself? Would you perform signs and wonders in the name of Jesus? And then I listen to this story and I'm reminded of God's faithfulness. And it's brought up in me a question for us here. If God did that there, where we walked, among people that we know, where we served, why can't he do that here? The stories that you hear, we worship the same God. Why not? Why not here? Could we pray? Could we be a people who say, Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, help us to speak with boldness in a culture that does not want to hear the gospel. To proclaim your word and Lord, as you keep us faithful, would you stretch out your hand? Would you heal? Would you perform signs and wonders for the glory of your name? 
This is my hope. This is my prayer. And I pray that, that you would take time to listen to this, to stir your heart. The first voice that, that, that you're actually about to hear, hear is with someone that we just had dinner with at Chili's in Lake Nona. Like, this is how close this story is to me. These, this is how God has answered prayers in the past and how I'm praying he answers prayers here in our future. Here's a trailer for what you could expect. Coming fall of 2021. It's such an unlikely story. At the face of it, it looked like it just wasn't going to go anywhere. It didn't make sense. It shouldn't have happened, and yet it did. In January of 2019, a man named Bashara started to experience things he couldn't explain. My whole body was shaking. And a voice said to me, don't be afraid. We would go and meet with him, you know, trying to help him to make sense of these dreams. I said, look, man, the Lord can take care of you one way or another. And that's when it got really real, of course. By December of that same year, he was hiding out in a tiny room while over 100 people were being paid to hunt him down. There's these couple of soldiers and they put him in the back of a Land Cruiser. They put chains on his feet and they chained his hands. It's hard to imagine a Muslim not knowing that if they turn to Jesus, that it won't have serious ripples. He's already sent a body bag with instructions to beat him again. If he doesn't recant, kill him and throw him in the river. So how did he get there? And how did one small event begin a ripple so big that it would stretch into multiple countries? We were doing the Book of Acts in real time. You know, there was a, a role we had to play. The Lord was in this. His hand, his fingerprints were all over it. The government there could not believe that there would be any reason for this many Muslims to become Christians. There is a God who can do things that break the laws of science and that the Bible calls miracles. We tend to think that what I see in scripture was reserved for a different world. No one had a knife to my throat. No one had a gun to my head. And yet, I was asking him to walk that road. Yeah, I mean, that's a hill to die on, and, and I don't mean that as a metaphor. If you would have told me that this is where I would be, I would have never believed you. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and stop whenever he wants, and he's still good. This is Maverick a podcast about people whose encounters with Jesus have turned them into rebels, dissenters, and outsiders. And on this season, we'll follow the story of this one man who found God and lost everything else in the process. I never saw any of this coming. I never expected any of this. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you need help, I think of my parents in this, they probably never even heard of a podcast. So if you're like, how do I find that? They can help you at the table. But here's my heart in even suggesting this is because I want our focus to be on God. Who he is, what he has said, what he is doing so that our hope and our faith might be strengthened to walk with peace and confidence as we follow him together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. 
I thank you for your word and your reminder because I know in my own heart I can get swept up in all the news articles and excitement, despair, frustration. Lord, and yet as you said, to like guard our hearts. That we would be intentional to guard our, our hearts, our minds. Lord, you have spoken with clarity into these things. And we need to rest in your voice and in your providence and in your work. And so, Lord, would you help us? Help us to listen well. Help us to rest well. For your glory, Lord. And in Jesus' name, amen.